0: It is time to get another reading on the condition of the ag economy. We'll do that, and then we'll get to this week's Farm Reform. Let's talk with a pair of hog producers and see if their outlook for the ag economy is as optimistic about the future as the rest of the ag economy.
1: Live from the foothills of hump day via Farm Journal broadcast, this is Talk. This morning, we'll begin with a conversation with Dr. Jim Mintert from Purdue. Then it's our Farmer Forum with panelists Randy Francis and Chad Lehman. Directly following the news, Margie Eckelcamp from The Scoop, I'm handsome newsman, Davis Michelson. Now, welcome the host of AgriTalk, Chef Lori. All
0: right, Davis. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, you know, my, my little weather app says mm-hmm. for the first time, you know, that it, it, it's partly cloudy. There is some sun breaking through out there. It's 32 degrees. We're supposed to warm up to 45. It's kind of Mm -hmm. a beautiful day out there.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear that. You sound super psyched about it. That's awesome. Well,
0: you know, it's it's amazing what sunlight will do for a guy.
1: Yeah, it it actually really is. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I'm not. I am Uh, not joking around on that hyperbole. No, no, no. That's why this time of the year, uh, uh, boy. There was a time in my life where I'd show up to the office in the dark and leave in the dark
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: and not leave the building in between. That was tough. That was tough. That was, yeah, yeah. But any chance I get now to get out and just kind of absorb some of that sunlight, you know I'm going to be out there doing that.
1: Well, well we actually a had before. a little uh, little touch of frost down here in Dixie overnight. I woke Did up and really? we're at 36 degrees and sunny right now, but uh, I almost had to scrape my windows. Oh. It's crazy. Wow. Desperate times.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you. Be careful out there. Be careful. Will do. You know, I like it when you're driving along and you hear that little ding and you think <laughs> something's going wrong with the vehicle. Uh-huh. Ice? Possible. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks for that. That's great. For now that. I'm I on appreciate edge. appreciate that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. We're going to have the conversation with uh, Jim Mintert from Purdue yeah. University about the latest Ag Economy Barometer, and then Randy and Chad coming in here for the Farmer Forum at the bottom of the hour. All right, let's get to the news.
1: Well, Chip, I've got some uh, some more daily sales activity. 372,000 metric tons of SRW wheat for delivery Damn. to China. This is during the 23-24 marketing year and 136,000 metric tons of beans for delivery to China during the 23-24 marketing year, Chip.
0: Yeah, this is going to push their tally up there to about $1.7 on the uh, on soft red winter wheat purchases, China's purchases of U.S. soft red winter wheat. Mm. Brian Grady and you and I had a conversation about those purchases yesterday afternoon on Agritalk. If you haven't heard that, I'd go back and give that a listen. Mm hmm.
1: Well, let's uh, let's look at the National Weather Service Weather Outlook, where they're calling for excessive rainfall and flooding potential across the Pacific Northwest. And by the way, Chip, they've had some flooding up there on the Portland, Oregon area. Apparently, one person at least tragically swept away by the floods. Oh, we've got moderate upslope snow forecast across the central and southern Appalachians today, because that's our favorite weather phrase this week. And uh, well above average and potentially record-breaking warmth across the central United States for the next few days.
0: If you have not checked out the path of the jet stream, you need to do do that. Mm -hmm. It is one of the deepest dives in the jet stream that I can recall. I mean... The thing comes in the PNW and then that river of moisture just flows Mm -hmm. straight down into Texas and whips right back up into Michigan. Yep, It's crazy.
1: Yep. Well, Tip, the U.S. job market is showing signs of weakening. In October, the number of available jobs hit its lowest level since March 2021. This, according to the Labor Department, the decline in job openings comes amid a year-long increase in the unemployment rate and a lengthening period for Americans to find new jobs. In November, private businesses in the US added 103,000 workers to their payrolls, which fell short of expectations, below the revised figure of 106,000 for October. The disappointing job growth was observed in both the goods uh, goods producing and service providing sectors. Notably, sectors such as leisure and hospitality as well as manufacturing experienced declines in employment during this period. Chip.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, that revision for October was a downward revision.
1: Of course it was. Of
0: course it was. That is the standard operating procedure of the jobs data right now. doesn't yeah. matter if we're talking about the new non-farm payrolls or if we are talking about uh, uh, it, downside revisions that become the norm in jobs data. It's
1: I, They absolutely have. And I don't yeah. know what the, the degree to which October's numbers were. Were revised, but we're at one hundred and three thousand. We get below one hundred thousand, man. I don't know what happens.
0: Yeah, that's that's a lot of tightness in the jobs market, no question. Big report out on Friday morning. Yep.
1: Well, Chief House Speaker Mike Johnson, in a letter to the White House Tuesday morning, uh, said that Ukraine aid is quote dependent upon enactment of transformative change to our nation's border security laws end quote. I'll leave that there. Yeah. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said Tuesday that the military would have to maintain indefinite security control over the Gaza Strip long after the war against Hamas ends saying quote Gaza must be demilitarized and only the IDF can take care of that no international force can do that for us. we saw what happened in other places where international forces were taking uh, taken for disarmament purposes those blue hats not welcome in Israel apparently.
0: Well, and I got a feeling that uh, Mr. Netanyahu is looking straight at uh, the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan Mm -hmm. uh, when he is saying, we've seen this play before, and I don't know if we want to go down that path. All right, thank you very much, Davis. Uh, Let's go ahead and uh, learn about this year's 40 Under 40 from Margie Echo Camp Editor of The Scoop.
3: Hey, Chip, and good morning, everyone. Yes, we are so proud for the fourth year now to have the Scoop's 40 Under 40 Announced. And this has been a program that we've had sponsored by our friends at New Farm. And what the goal is, is to recognize and put the spotlight on up and coming leaders across ag retail and those parallel businesses. So we've got a new crop of 40 individuals who just so happen to be under the age of 40 and they range in roles from owners and operators of ag retail locations to being location managers, a number of sales roles and more. And so I want everyone to stay tuned on the Scoop podcast. We will have a number of these folks come on and have interviews again on the Scoop podcast. And I will ask each of them my favorite question to ask our 40 under 40 awardees, and that is what piece of advice or Better yet, even what words of wisdom would you share with somebody else who's in the early chapters of their career? And it's one way to kind of tease out this idea of mentorship as well as being mentored, which is something we can all benefit from. So again, the full list of our forty under forty it's available at thedailyscoop.com. You can scroll, see through, and see these folks again. A variety of retail roles from across the country. Some of these folks may be folks who help service your acres. And again, thank you to our sponsor at New Farm.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Margie. That is Margie Ecclecamp, editor of The Scoop. Again, to see the full list, just head on over to www.thedailyscoop.com. Margie's done a real nice job of laying out the 40 under 40. All right, we've got Dr. James Mintert next.
1: The Scoop on AgriTalk is brought to you by Tyrannus, moving the acre forward. Every acre tells a story. Find yours at acreforward.com. That's acreforward.com. AgriTalk is brought to you by Bravant Seeds. You want someone who knows how to do the whole job? That's what ag retailers do. That's why Bravant Seeds are available only for retailers. Find yours at bravantcom retail. Welcome back to AgriTalk.
0: I'm Chip. Glad that you were with us on this Wednesday morning. We're going to get to the farmer forum at the bottom of the hour. Uh, but first, Davis, uh, each month mm-hmm. in cooperation with the CME group, Purdue University Ag Economist Dr. James Mintert and Dr. Michael Langemeyer conduct a survey of U.S. farmers to measure their attitudes about current and expected conditions. And uh, Jim is nice enough to join us each month to discuss the results. Jim is director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Ag and, of course, is an ag econ professor there at Purdue. Jim, welcome back. It's good to talk with you again. Good to be back,
7: uh, Chip.
0: All right. Uh, So here we are. Back-to-back months now, farmer sentiment has improved. Uh, Tell us, it's not an insignificant amount of improvement, Jim.
7: It kind of depends on what you compare it to, Chip. And so if you look at uh, a year ago, uh, for example, I think we're up, uh, what, 13 points. A year ago, the reading was 102 for the barometer index, and this month was 115. Mm-hmm. two years ago we were at 116 so we're about the same as okay. as two years ago of course but if you go back and look at our peak when we were uh, what late 2020 the beginning of 2021 we were up over 175 so kind of depends on how you look at it but i think it, it it is a modest improvement and you know i think from our standpoint it makes a lot of sense um just okay. so your listeners know, the the survey covers all the major commodities. So it covers soy, corn and soybean producers, wheat producers, cotton producers on the crop side, and on the livestock side, beef, pork, and dairy. Um, and if but it, because of the value of farm production, every month a majority of the people in the survey have a corn or soybean enterprise. Sure. So if you think about what went on in the Corn Belt, especially with respect to corn and soybean yields this fall, yep. certainly for many producers yields were better than expected certainly when you compare them to the yields they were thinking about back in june and maybe early july before some rains hit Uh, but but widespread uh, higher uh, productivity than people thought we were going to have and that's translating i think into a more positive sentiment and a more positive financial environment because even though prices haven't been as strong as people perhaps had hoped that combination of current prices with some really good yields still makes things look uh, better than probably people thought just a few months ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As I was looking at the results, I'm thinking to myself that, that yields had to be it. And it's because of when you were doing the survey, November 13th through the 17th um, the The previous survey was done the middle of October. You give them an, um, another month's worth of scale tickets of, looking at the combine yield monitor of all of that and to me this survey added evidence that okay yeah the uptick that we got in the national average corn yield from October to November makes makes more sense now because if the guys are seeing it out there in the field it's going to show up in this survey and and it did it it, it to me that's exactly where you got to give the credit for the increase in the uh, in attitudes or the improvement in attitudes. Yeah.
7: And that correlates with what we saw in the Farm Financial Performance Index. It was up a modest amount. It was up three points. But again, okay. if you compare that one to where it was back in the spring, in May, that index was all the way down at 76. So we're up 19 points compared to where we were in okay. May. We saw some of that improvement show up over the summer. We got up into the mid-80s, but uh, these last couple of months, it just keeps, keeps cre- uh, creeping up. And I just think that's a function of of yield and people looking at what the revenue situation is and kind of looking back on the year. That's the other thing that happens when you get to these last couple of surveys in November and December, people really start thinking about how this year shook out relative to last year. And I think a recognition that actually this turned out to be a decent year for a lot of folks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Revenue is going to be down. Uh, You know, there's no question about it. Revenue is going to be down from the records that we saw in 2022 but re- revenues are going to be down all the way to number two on the list <laughs> in history. Um, so it's I, I think this generally optimistic attitude, at least for corn and soybean producers has got to be it, it's pretty well justified.
7: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I did a, a in a presentation recently uh, outside the survey, mm-hmm. we I looked at the average of net farm income at the aggregate at the you know national level and averaged it from 2010 to 2019 and then I compared how net farm income nationally compared in say 2020, 2021, 2022 and now 2023 relative to that 10 year average from 2010 to 2019. Yeah. And even with the downgrade that we're looking at in 23, uh 23's projection according to USDA is still 25% higher than that 10 year average and I think wow. people are maybe kind of recognizing that a little bit.
0: Okay. All right. So with the improved attitude, with the revenue situation, some more clarity coming to that, uh, what's it doing to their plans for the future? Are they ready to make some some investments?
7: So the Farm Capital Investment Index was up, I think, seven points this month compared to last month, and I think 11 points higher than a year ago. Again, like the other indexi- indices, you know, it, it's still down compared to where we were in late 2020, the very beginning of 2021. But that 11-point compared improvement compared to a year ago is kind of interesting when you think about the fact that farm income last year was actually stronger. So that that's kind of an interesting perspective. And the other thing is we've now got, I think, five months of data where we've been following up and asking people who tell us that it's a good time to make large investments, why they feel that way. Yeah, And we we shied away from asking that question for a while because each month it's a relatively small percentage of people who tell us that it's a good time. I think this month it was 16% of the people in the survey said, yeah, now's a good time to make large investments. And we are seeing a little bit of a transition there. The first couple of times we asked that question in July and August, over 40% of the people told us that it was because of strong cash flows.
5: Okay.
7: Fewer people are pointing to strong cash flows on these last couple of surveys but more people are pointing to loosening up or improved dealer inventories for farm machinery. Okay. You know, The first time we asked that question in July, only 12% said it was because of improved inventories uh, availability. These last couple of times, it's been in the 20s. This month, it was actually 29%. And I kind of mm-hmm. think that what's going on there, Chip, is that um, as those dealer inventories climb, people are starting to feel like maybe they can negotiate a little better deal uh, for a long time, of course, it was get in line, wait, wait for what you might come down the road. Um, that that's changed here recently, so that's that's really an improvement. Uh, and I think we'll monitor that going forward. But I think we're starting to see some softening up in that market.
0: Okay, all right. Um, y- y- we we've been having some conversations about uh, working capital and the cash flows. Uh, that, that growers have available to them, that the cash flows or the working capital that they've got in place right now coming out of 2023, I, I understand that, okay, maybe things turned out better than what you expected, but the the capital, the working capital that farmers have got right now, I'm picking up more and more that it's not quite the cushion that they would like to have Going into the 2024 season, with the input costs at the level that they're that they're looking at,
7: yeah, I think that's right, and I think that's consistent with what we're picking up with that uh, shift from say 40 to 41 percent of people saying strong cash flows was a good reason for investments back yeah. in July and August, and then on this most recent survey, uh, about half that number, roughly 22 percent said it was about strong cash flows. So I think we are picking that up. We're not at the point where where working capital is is uh, desperate, you know, that we're, right. we're in a real challenging environment. But we're definitely starting to see some drawdown, and, the, and those cash flows aren't as strong as they were, uh, for example, last year or two years ago.
0: Right, gotcha. Challenges for the year ahead. The input cost still at the top of the list, right?
7: Yeah, input cost is is still the number one concern for the upcoming year. But again, we're seeing a shift. If you look at the beginning of the year over 40% of the people in the survey said their number one concern for the upcoming year was high input cost. This month, that's down to roughly one third, 32% of the people in the survey. And we're seeing more people start to point to lower crop and livestock prices, more people point to rising interest rates. So we're seeing a little bit of a shift there back towards maybe what I'd characterize as maybe some more traditional concerns, which would be output prices and a key input price, namely interest rates. So those are a little more front of mind or top of mind for folks. One of the interesting things about that question though, Chip, but particularly given the fact that we just did an extension of the farm bill mm-hmm. is how few people think farm yeah. policy is a concern. Right. Um, and that's been consistent throughout the year. Yeah. I think this month, 5% of the people said farm policy was one of their top concerns. Beginning mm-hmm. of the year, it was 3%. So it really hasn't changed much. Um, and in fact, environmental policy is higher, yeah. ranked right, higher by folks. Uh, almost twice as many said environmental policy was a bigger concern for them going forward than it's farm amazing. policy.
0: it's amazing to me you know that's your question inspired me to ask that a, a similar question you know if if farm policy is even on their radar when i'm having just you know casual conversations with farmers and it's amazing how low the level of concern is there jim great stuff thank you sir thank you you bet, Dr. James Mintert, Purdue University. Farmer Forum is up next.
6: Time for markets now with the experts from Pro Farmer.
0: Joining us now, Pro Farmer editor Brian Grady. Uh, Brian, we've got some strength in the wheat market here, based on another wheat uh, soft red winter wheat export sales to uh, China.
8: Yeah. uh, Three days in a row now, Chip, over a million tons in total there. And, uh, you know, just for perspective, uh, they've purchased as much via daily sales here um, the past three days as what was on the books, uh, whether, uh, you know, so commitments, uh, exports, plus their uh, outstanding sales up until this point for all classes of, of U.S. wheat. so. Um, you know, the aggressive buys continue and, and that's giving support to the SRW market, which is helping support HRW futures. Now, both of them are, are well off their uh, earlier highs, uh, but still trading to the upside. Spring wheat's starting to leak to the downside a little bit. Yeah.
0: yeah, and so is corn trading well off the highs already.
8: Yeah, corn and, and uh, along with the soy complex. So soybean, soy meal, and soy oil are also lower. Uh, we did have a daily soybean sale to China yep. this morning, and, and that one uh, is completely being ignored by the marketplace.
0: Okay, takes us over to the livestock trade. Volatility continues in the cattle complex.
8: Yeah, uh, so heavy losses in uh, live cattle futures, a little bit of of light trade at uh, sharply lower prices so far this week, uh, down about three to four bucks from last week. And and so um, that's putting some pressure on the the live cattle futures. Feeder cattle, they tried to work to the upside and actually had strong gains at one point today with a big divergence between live cattle. Um, Now trading with a narrowly mixed tone here at mid-morning. And then on the hog futures, uh, steady to firmer in most of the contracts as they narrow up the discount to the uh, cash index.
0: All right, Brian, good stuff. Thanks, buddy. That is Pro Farmer editor Brian Grady on Markets Now.
4: From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time.
1: Opinions expressed on Agritalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. Agritalk is brought to you by Advanced Acre Rx from Winfield United, the comprehensive, customized program that's paying off at operations across America. Visit winfieldunited.com
8: AARX.
0: It is time for this week's Farmer Forum here on Agritalk. Welcome back. I'm your host, Chip. Let's bring them on in here. Start with Randy Francis from Eastern Iowa. How you doing, Randy?
2: Very good, Chip. How are you today?
0: Doing real fine, real fine. I want to kick it right off um, with this, with you, Randy, because you are in an area that, that in 2023 was dry and, and pretty much stayed dry. And we keep hearing about these yields – that were better than expected or you get into the, you know, you're, you're uh, driving the combine and you look over at the yield monitor and you think, Oh, that's not so bad. Was that the experience that you had this year in Eastern Iowa?
2: Yeah. I, yeah, I would reflect on that. And, you know, so we hear Jim mentor early on here and talking about, you know, Labor Day, we're looking in Labor Day and moods, maybe are a little depressed, you know, come fungicide time we thought we really had an outstanding crop we kind of watched the crop die early Mm -hmm. and we started harvesting our area around the 8th to 10th of September so we were looking at you know we were kind of ho-hum thinking you know corn's not going to be very good you know there was a reason why we were out there early on in our early fields you know died early and crop got better as we went on you know Kind of by luck or chance, I would say our poorest ground got the least amount of rain, but on the flip side of that, our best soil received the most rain. So,
0: yeah.
2: you know, when early on we were harvesting 25% below APH yields, but then once we got to a fuller maturity, heavier soil, um, moisture, you know, we were in that 5% yeah. below APH, which we were pretty fortunate in the last five years. We've really built the APH levels really high in our area. Yeah. So, you
0: know, yeah. from a I was yeah, Randy. I was, gonna of, I was going to make the, the point that if you could be within 5% of APH in a year like this after growing some really good crops, you, you got to be totally satisfied with that.
2: Yeah, that's right. And I think we were fortunate in our area. You know, we maybe were right on the edge, I would say, west of us received less rain and you can reflect that in basis shell rock probably has the best basis in the area mm-hmm. um com- compared to like dyersville big river cedar rapids is trying to pull some corn but you know that there's a little hole there in kind of the waterloo area yep. which,
0: <clears throat> yeah a little bit further west than than you yep all right let's bring chad Lay- chad layman into the conversation chad It's great to talk with you over there in Illinois. How are you?
9: Hey, good morning, Chip. Thanks for uh, for having me on. Good to talk to you again.
0: It's great to talk with you. Same kind of story, Chad, on corn yields?
9: Very good yields in our area, especially considering that we went for almost six weeks from early May through mid-June with with just zero rain through central Illinois. And, and I would say most farmers were, were thinking we are, we are one week away from pollination and, and a major crop disaster if we don't get rain. And, and, uh, thank God we, we got good rains and ended up with, with very good yields again, not record yields, but, but frankly, not far off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't want to get complacent here, Chad. Because we, we talk about the genetics combined with the management making corn quote-unquote bulletproof. I don't want to get complacent and say that corn is bulletproof, but doggone it. It can take a shot or two now and and yeah. still perform pretty well, can't it?
9: I think you're right on about how easy it is to begin to think, well, we can raise 250 bushel corn you know, no matter what happens, but I keep thinking, what about this, what we'd say is average year that's going to come along where we end up at 210 to 220, and it's it's going to be very ugly around here.
0: Hmm. Wow. You know, that's not a lot of cushion. I, I understand that, you know, when you're talking about 250 plus and, two, you know, getting all the way down to 210 bushel, creating an ugly situation, but... Uh, Um, there's there's still vulnerability on the supply side of this corn market but i think the market's going to be kind of numb to any kind of a weather scare at least for a while in here okay you're both hog producers that's one of the reasons i wanted to get you both on at the same time randy what is happening in the hog business today or and you know and it's not just today it's been going on for a while, but what what's happening in the hog business that uh, the rest of the ag industry needs to understand?
2: Yeah, the the hog business. So, kind of the number one thing that's on my list for the hog business right now is, and and I think it's probably any farm, but I think we're seeing it in the the hog ownership side more right now is the the high cost of ownership for sows right now. Yeah. So. To raise, to raise a piglet, you know, you're you're in a sow unit and those sow units right now are really impacted on rising labor costs, uh, increasing insurance, just to ensure those facilities, you know, you're seeing 20% increase in insurance year over year. Jeez. Then you add on eight to 9% interest rate on top of that. And a lot of these sow farms are operating in in-debt load situations with high costs, high, you know, they're carrying a lot of that that risk in the operating line side. So the high interest rate's really affecting that. And then, you know, navigating the Prop 12 or even not yeah. going as far as Prop 12, but just going open pen gestation, you know, that's kind of what the consumers are wanting. Maybe not going full Prop 12, but, you know, we have one cell unit we had to decrease 12% of style base just to get to open and design. So, you know, you're talking right off the top, 12 less piglets out the door. So you got to spread the same cost over the same with less pigs out the door. And then just as with every year, you're going through health challenges. So on top of the navigating the prop 12, the consumer demands, you're adding a little bit healthier challenges higher mortality so you know you're raising that pig piglet cost and that that number comes right off the top of the line i mean it just it's you can't really work around it it just it increases your baseline up five to seven dollars a head right from the start well any market activity that that damages that in a hurry so yep I guess yep. that's
0: the biggest thing right now in our minds is
2: trying to control these costs and trying to gotcha. navigate through all this uncertainty.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Chad, uh, Chad is also president of the Illinois pork producers. Uh, Randy put together a pretty complete list there, didn't he? Yeah.
9: Yeah, that's sort of that's sort of top of mind for sure. I mean, as I think back over this past year, it's been an ugly year in the pig business other than I would say July, August and, and part of September, which had some surprisingly good margins come along. Uh, but it's, it's been a tough year for hog producers. I guess the, the silver lining to it and a lot of your listeners don't, don't like this, but the fact is that, you know, we're feeding corn that's a dollar and a half cheaper than it was a year ago. Yep. And you know, if a pig eats nine or 10 bushel of, of corn in its lifetime. I and mean, that starts to, that starts to add up pretty quickly. So, you know, that's, that's the bright spot is we're feeding some, some cheaper corn and some other cheaper ingredients now, but gosh, we've, we've seen some awful good producers over the course of the past six months, you know, get out of, out of the pig business. And that's, yep. that's not good to see.
0: That's right. That's right. Randy put a number on the cost of the, um, uh... You're moving toward Prop 12 compliance there, 12%. Is that in line with what you're hearing, Chad?
9: Yeah, I think I, I would say it's even a little bit higher than that. Okay. Um, you know, in this this past year, I, I, I can't tell you how much time I've spent trying to talk to legislators and lobbyists about we we've got to get a fix for prop 12 i mean if you think about the fact that that's just california that's just one state ballot initiative now you know you got question three in massachusetts which is similar and so so now you start thinking about okay well now you're going to have you know potentially washington and oregon and arizona and just just go along the seaboards on the eastern western Mm -hmm. side and you could potentially have 12 to 15 states all with their own version of prop 12 and i have no idea how you raise pigs specifically for each of these states it's 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 not at all practical
0: yeah randy are you trying to sell into that prop 12 market
2: well, that's the problem right now. There's no premium being offered to the packer.
0: Well,
1: then
2: to... it, it it's really challenging. I mean, and, and the number I gave at twelve percent—that's only us going to open pen gestation. That's not full prop twelve. Okay. which I don't know the number to go all the way there. I mean, probably have to lose another ten percent animals potentially. Yeah, I think so, Randy, it's... you're looking at twenty-five to thirty
9: percent, really, to go full prop twelve, and and like you say, the I mean, not to interrupt you here, but I mean, the Packers, the Packers are noncommittal on on sourcing any more Prop 12 pigs because they don't know if Californians are going to pay the premium for this pork.
0: Well, if they're not going to pay the premium, there's been a huge investment by some producers already to be Prop 12 compliant. And they were fully anticipating that premium to be paid. Good grief. We're going to continue this conversation, this farmer forum with Randy from Iowa, Chad from Illinois next.
1: When news breaks, the newsmakers talk about it on Agritalk with Chip Florey.
0: Welcome back to Agritalk and the Farmer Forum. Glad that you're with us. We are in the middle of a conversation with Randy Francis from Iowa, Chad Lehman from Illinois. Chad, um, what does the extension of the Farm Bill mean to the efforts to legislate and offset to prop 12 well and to uh uh, to an offset for q3 in massachusetts
9: yep yeah i mean it's it's kind of a setback for us because to, to just get the extension because we had worked really hard with one of the senators from illinois who's typically not in our camp in agriculture and we had worked with a number of, uh, uh, with our congressmen mm-hmm. to see if we could get this fixed in the, in the new farm bill and, and felt like we had, we were making some really good headway. Okay. Well, then when the, the speaker of the house, uh, battle ensued and, and McCarthy was ousted and then it took forever to get him replaced, it's like, well, prop 12 concerns certainly got put on the back burner, if not farther. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, then, then when it just got extended, there's there's really nothing we can we can do at this point in the farm bill. So I mean, January first, Prop 12 takes full effect, which means that all fresh pork sold in California has to be Prop 12 compliant.
2: Right. And
9: I I really feel like the reason pork cold storage is down so low compared to previous years is because California has rated the freezers to get pork that was killed before July 1st on their shelves because it didn't have to be compliant. And so it's, it's anybody's guess what happens after January one. I I mean, the price of, of center cut pork chop in California is already up 20%. Yep. And I just don't know if consumers are going to buy it.
0: Yep. Well, the, there's already evidence out there that consumers are not going to buy it. um, and that they're not going to pay that premium for compliant pork. And Randy, without any incentive from the Packers, it doesn't. It, it doesn't sound to me like you're going to. Are, are you willing to move forward with updates or whatever you want to call it to your farrowing units to uh, to get closer to Prop 12 compliant?
2: It's going to be a lot harder to push that pencil to do it. I mean, without a little more certainty from, from the government and the Packers. It's, it's really hard in the environment we're faced right now with, you know, looking at the first quarter below break, even the summer, you know, you can get back to making a decent profit, but then third and fourth quarter you're already below. So,
0: yeah.
2: But I don't want to give too much credit to Iowa state Chip. but purchase more ham and bacon. (laughs) That's all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that one right. kind of fell right in the Iowa pork producers lap but i <laughs> i i do like it it's one thing i i can cheer for the cyclones in that regard so
0: <laughs> did you did you see what happened i think it was just it was it was either late last week or early this week did you see what happened for bacon
2: yeah he got a scholarship right
0: Yep, they put him on scholarship after this season. So that's awesome. Good for that kid. Good for that kid. And his
2: younger brother just committed to Iowa State, so we got four more years of bacon. So <laughs> we can keep this push. So.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. No, that, that is a fun campaign, Randy. You are absolutely right on that. No question. No question. Um, okay, I wanted to go down this path with you guys, and I'm I'm going to right now. You're both in leadership roles. Chad, we mentioned that you're president of the Illinois Pork Producers. Randy is the Young Farmer Advisory Chair for Iowa Farm Bureau. Randy, what are you looking forward to in that role in, in the months ahead? Um
2: my my role's expired now, but I'm, you know, oh, still okay. involved in pretty heavily Farm Bureau, but you know, just looking through the, the guidance of young farmers and kind of keeping the momentum going, you know, with any farm organization, you know, it, it takes everybody, you know, from your corn growers, your soybean association, your Farm Bureau organizations, your NPPC, your Iowa pork. We're all in agriculture together. We need everybody united speaking with going to these legislators, saying common information. You know, it, it takes everybody. You know, and with the pork industry, we're the number one users of corn in this state, you know. So Mm -hmm. we need the Iowa corn to be a part of our conversation and just kind of keeping that momentum going forward. Because the legislators, once they hear our story behind us, they got four other groups and different parties and interests coming in the door behind us with a different message. So we got to stay ahead of that.
0: Yep. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. What about you, Chad?
9: I think there's kind of two things on my mind as I, you know, begin to wrap up and conclude my role as president. But one is I I don't want to always, as pork producers, be seen as complaining about this, you know, boy, we've really had a tough go of it. We need help, blah, blah, blah. I'd like to to focus on what's going right and, and what's going well in this pork business. I mean, from a herd health standpoint, we we've got great herd health at this point. Um, packers are all very profitable, which you know you need them to be profitable for us to be. So that's one thing. I would just like to finish on a on a positive note, and secondly, yeah. probably on a not so positive note. I keep I'm keeping one eye on this UN climate summit that yeah. what seventy thousand people have flown into, and and animal agriculture is right in the crosshairs of of yep. what they're looking to uh, communicate coming out of that. So, uh, you know, there's no question they're going to be coming for us and I I would rather be I would rather be coming out on offense than always playing defense against some of these clowns and and so just, yep. just trying to think through what that looks like.
0: Yep. Very good. Very good. Gentlemen, great stuff today. A lot of things to think about. Um, I'm probably not going to talk to you before we get to Christmas. So Merry Christmas to you and your families, and I hope to see you guys soon.
9: Sounds good. Happy holidays to you, Jeff. Thank you.
0: All right. Good stuff. All right. That is Randy Francis in Iowa, Chad Lehman in Illinois. Thank you so much for listening this morning. Certainly appreciate it. Come back this afternoon, 206 Central, conversation with Sean Hackett. Hackett Financial Advisors right here on Agritalk. That's right.